You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good morning, everyone. If I have the chance to meet you, my name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, what you just saw was one of our Calvary Cares project updates. And if you're not familiar, here at Calvary, we uh, do a number of things through our Calvary Cares campaign. The one that we're kind of looking at this morning, throughout this month, are our projects. And uh, this year, we've pledged $75,000 in projects. Uh, you just saw an update from Beloved Bakes, which is a, a local bakery. Uh, Nicole, who you saw on the screen, started this year to help uh, equip the, those who are physically or mentally disabled with opportunity to grow and to learn and to bake. And uh, we're just so blessed to be able to walk alongside them. And uh, we also have projects we'll get to hear throughout the month, but um, we're remodeling the, the chapel at the Teen Challenge Center in Western PA. Uh, we're helping start a church, or build a church, not start a church, but build a church that's existing in Sudan, purchase land and property, uh, which we'll get to hear about that in a few weeks. Uh, also, we are remodeling the uh, visitation centers for the Children's Institute in Greensburg, which are the primary visitation rooms for foster families in our county. And uh, finally, we're working with ESL families here locally, uh, helping welcome international families that have moved into Norwin or into this region from all over the world. And uh, this year at Norwin, there were over 50 students, ESL students. In 2019, there were four. And uh, so it's been a huge explosion and we are uh, blessed to be able to come alongside our school district and to really welcome those new neighbors into our community. So thank you for your giving and your generosity to make it possible for us to, to show God's love, not just to those that call this place home, but to those outside our walls. And uh, I love being a part of a church that is so generous. So thank you so much for giving. Uh, I wanna mention a couple of quick things before we jump into God's word. One, when you came in this morning, for those that are here in person, you should have received a card. And that card uh, is an opportunity for you to say thank you. Uh, next week, if you're not aware, next week is our Hero Sunday. And for our Hero Sunday, we take time to honor all of our local first responders, local veterans and military personnel. And we're gonna be doing that tomorrow, our next Sunday in the service. Uh, be presenting some checks to some of our local fire stations. Have touch a truck if you have kids where they can all explore the vehicles after service. We're gonna have four food trucks here. We have um, uh, Lunch Lady on Wheels, um, Eat My Pork, uh, which is right here locally, uh, Miss Meatballs and Maddie's, Maddie's, uh, uh, ice cream, or homemade ice cream, I think is what it is. Um, so we're gonna have those four trucks. Uh, it's gonna be awesome. I uh, hope you can join us, uh, invite someone. But the card uh, is an opportunity for you to say thank you to a first responder, to, to a veteran. And if you can today, at some point, fill that card out, make it general, not just like for police or firemen, but, but just for their sacrifice and their service to say thank you from you. You can sign your name and then on your way out, drop it in one of the bins. And next week, as those uh, first responders, those veterans come, we're gonna be giving them uh, a ticket for a free meal at one of the food trucks, but also we wanna give them that card to let them know that we appreciate them and that we value so much that they do uh, for our community, for our area. So if you can do that today. And last thing, uh, on your way out, there's uh, Hero Sunday postcards. Uh, you can invite someone next week. It's gonna be an incredible day. Uh, we're gonna be joined by uh, former KDKA uh, news reporter, Pam Serrano, and her daughter, Mary. And we're, I'm gonna be interviewing them about uh, the accident that Pam's son and daughter were in last year and how God has just sustained them through some really difficult, complicated situations. So uh, it's gonna be a really inspiring time 
and hope you can invite a friend and join us. So it's going to be awesome. Hero Sunday is always such a fun, fun day. Uh, today, we're kicking off a new series that we're calling Crushed crushed, that how do we respond when uh, life crushes us? You know, one of the the great struggles uh, for a successful TV sitcom actor or actress uh, is their tendency to be pigeonholed or typecast for their role. And I know in light of what we deal with in life, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but when this happens, while they enjoy the fun ride of success, they often find themselves struggling to outrun the memories of their unforgettable character. In fact, uh, here are some of our favorites, some of the most well-known, typecast, pigeonholed, however you want to say it, characters from TV sitcoms. See if you recognize any of these. I'm sure you recognize all of them. Of course, Barney Fife, um, Lucille Ball, one of the best, at least from my upbringing, Mary-Kate and Ashley, Dwight Schrute, we have some Dwight Schrute fans, anyone? Uh, or Leslie Nope, anyone like Leslie Nope from uh, Parks and Rec? And in honor of this week, the entire Friends cast, of course. Uh, how can you uh, ever see any of these characters serving any other kind of roles? Can you imagine any of them playing a role other than that type of role that they played, or, or a different character than they played. Of course, of course we can't. You know, there's only one Barney Fife, there's only one Lucille Ball, there's only one Dwight Schrute. And, and what's crazy about being typecast is each, uh, they each played characters so well that, that the thought of ever playing a different type of role is unthinkable, because they were so good at it. And, and typecasting happens because these people become defined by this role, by this moment, by this season that seems nearly impossible to redefine. They are forever viewed through the lens of that specific role. Now, I don't think any of us are ever going to be typecast in that way, but we can easily be typecast in different, sometimes more painful ways. Let me explain. We, we make a series of mistakes. We end up maybe with the wrong crowd, and soon we find ourselves playing a role that we never intended to play, and yet we, can see, we can't seem to outrun. We become typecast, that we're that alcoholic, we're that angry one, we're, we're that one that just can't keep a boyfriend or a girlfriend, we're that one that always brings drama to the situation, we're the one that, that, that destroys their marriages, we're, we're that one that can't hold down a job, we're, we're that one you fill in the blank, whatever it might be. It's, it's difficult when we are typecast because perception is reality, right? And, and, and different from actors or actresses, we can't just go out and get a big role in some movie and change people's perspective and perception of who we are. This month, we're, we're talking about how we respond when we're crushed by life. And one of the most difficult ways to be crushed is by our own mistakes. It's because while, while we're, they are all self-inflicted, it's an understood fact that it's really difficult to change our past. Like we can't go back. None of us have a DeLorean that we can just go back in time and change the past and undo it and fix it all. No matter what we do, we can't change what, we've, what we did back then. And no matter how hard we try, it's challenging to change how people view us because of what we've done. And, and if we're not careful, our mistakes can easily dictate the rest of our lives. We, we will relinquish the steering wheel of our lives to our past and simply accept this typecast role that we now play. And today I want to tell you the story of one of the most hypocritical, evil men 
to live in the Roman Empire in the first century and how he did the impossible that, that can be so, seem so unrealistic for us today. He managed to overcome a destructive reputation and a devastating past. He, he wasn't what you might think. He was known as a very religious man but would become the embodiment of everything that's wrong with fake religious people. He was arrogant. He, he flaunted his power. He used every ounce of influence he had to hurt those he disagreed with. He was fueled with deep-seated hatred. He lived outwardly what never impacted him inwardly. This man would actually be responsible for causing so much pain and would do so in the most destructive way possible, all in the name of God. His actions didn't just affect him, but would literally change the course of history. In fact, the very first martyr of the church would be as a result of his own orders. If, if there was ever a man that was typecast by his past, a man forever labeled by his mistakes, it was this guy. His Jewish name was Saul. And Saul was understandably a feared man, especially by Christians. He was a devout in his Jewish practice and was a member of the religious ruling body, the Pharisees, which his father also had been part of. And he had risen through the ranks and had shown his devotion by taking on the responsibility to seek out and, and to eliminate those that were part of this new Jewish sect known as the Way. These, this was the same group of people that would later be called Christians in the city of Antioch. And, and what made Saul's actions even worse was he didn't even realize he was making a mistake. He was so skewed by his rage and hatred for these people known as Christians that he had missed the truth that was right in front of him. This was until an unexpected encounter on his way to arrest, arrest Christians in the city of Damascus. He was traveling north from Jerusalem to Damascus, which would have been a trip of about 140 miles. At that time, mostly on foot, would have been about a seven to eight day journey. As he's traveled along the road, probably around the seventh or eighth day of the trip, just outside the city limits of Damascus, Saul would have a radical encounter that would change everything. This pivotal moment in Saul's life would be recorded by the biblical author Luke in the New Testament book of Acts. Here's what it says in Luke, or in Acts chapter nine, starting in verse three. It says, as he neared, speaking of Saul, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice to say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. And now, this can seem like a little bit of a different interaction between Saul and Jesus. Uh, why would Jesus ask him, why do you persecute me? Well, what, that's kind of a, an odd question, maybe. Well, in a similar way, people often wonder, why would God need to forgive me of my sin or my past? I didn't necessarily do anything to hurt him or against him. It's not, not like I'm a Satan worshiper or doing something that, that is directed toward him. Well, well, when we make mistakes, when we screw up, we often reflect back and, and maybe we realize that those mistakes were against other people. Sometimes we even recognize like those mistakes are against ourselves. But what we often miss is that those decisions, those mistakes are also against God himself. He created us for this unique purpose and we step out of that purpose. It's hurtful to him. This is what gives him the right and honestly the privilege to ultimately forgive us. 
This is what Jesus was saying to Saul on the road to Damascus that day. And Jesus continues in verse six. He said, uh, with some kind of instructions, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Verse seven, the, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard this sound, but did not see anyone. So they're hearing this voice, but they don't see anything. Saul, though he gets up from the ground, when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they, laid, they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. Now think about what this must have been like for Saul. Like put yourself in his shoes. Three days he can't see anything. I suspect he probably doesn't eat or drink, not, not just because he's so spiritual, but because his entire paradigm was just blown up in an instant. This very Jesus that he was trying to eliminate any trace of had just called him out. For for three entire days, I can't imagine he'd be thinking of anything but how wrong he must have been. What would he do as a result of this radical revelation he was given? Well, shortly after this encounter, God would speak to another man named Ananias. And and he would uh, tell Ananias to go to this home where Saul was staying to pray for him. Ananias, understandably, was frightened by this request from God. Like, how could he do this? Does, he, does God not know who Saul is? Like, Saul imprisoned Christians. He, he, he had Christians killed. In fact, here was Ananias' response in verse 13. He said, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Ananias is like, God, I don't know if you're like following his Twitter feed. I don't know if you're like keeping up with the news. I don't know if you're like oblivious to what's been transpiring. This is a scary guy. He's the last guy any Christian should be standing in front of. And, and, and Ananias is kind of doing this little debate uh, argument with God. Uh, and he's trying to convince God like, God, I don't think I'm the man. I don't think this is the guy. Verse 14, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all calling your name. I don't know, God, if you're realizing this, I call on your name. He's here to arrest people like me. And you want to send me to him? I want to hide from him. Why did I say this? It's because Saul was typecast. No matter what had happened, no matter how remarkable or supernatural it all seemed, even for a mature man of God that regularly hears the voice of God like Ananias was, he still couldn't shake the reputation, the mistakes and the actions that Saul had committed. After going back and forth with God, Ananias finally would obey what God was asking him to do and he goes to his home where Saul is staying and he prays with him. Immediately, Saul's sight is restored as Ananias prays for him. And even more importantly, Saul's heart would begin this drastic transformation. His hatred toward these Christians would almost immediately be replaced with a heart of love for Jesus. It was a remarkable, unthinkable shift. You know, sometimes we see these big shifts and turns in people like when they're on death row or, or maybe for uh, public uh, reasons, for PR reasons, they have a sudden become followers of Jesus and they, they start saying on TV that, you know, I am now a committed follower of Jesus and, and I thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And, and, it, and it's, it's almost a ploy, like, like it's not real. This, this wasn't fake. This was behind closed doors. This wasn't something that was done for public consumption. The one person that Christians in the first century couldn't even hope, couldn't even think would ever be changed by the grace of Jesus just had been. 
The worst of the worst had surrendered his life to the amazing purposes of Jesus. The most evil, vile man Christians knew had become one of their own and in the the most miraculous of ways. But in the eyes of many Christians at that time, none of that changed what he had done. The role he had played, and consequently, for most Christians, he was typecast. This wasn't just the perspective Ananias held to. In fact, listen to this a few verses later in verse 19. Here's what it said of Acts 9. It said, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. So he's there in Damascus. He's trying to spend time with these these believers. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God, which is remarkable. Verse 21, all those who heard him were astonished and they asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? They're like, whoa, what's this guy doing? He's not supposed to be here preaching Jesus. He's coming to arrest people who do that. In other words, how can this Christian hater now be talking about who Jesus is and how he loves the world? It it seemed like such a contradiction You know, some of you here today, oftentimes your life can seem like a contradiction to those that have known you a long time. You were one way, and now you're claiming to be another. It it can be so confusing. It, It would be like Jerry Seinfeld being cast in the starting role of the next Martin Scorsese film. Like, wouldn't add up. It doesn't make sense from anyone's perspective. This is, what was, uh, this is what was happening in the first century. It's hard to even explain how unthinkable this must have been. You know, as Christians, we oftentimes can get this so wrong. We, on the other side, we don't give people the space to make up for their past. We, we label and we so quickly dismiss. But we don't give the space and opportunity for people to step into the grace of Jesus well, the grace of Jesus has been extended to us. Do we extend it to others? So Saul, because of all that was stirred up, would soon flee Damascus for Jerusalem. But even in Jerusalem, the birthplace of the church, he was met with a very similar response. Here's what it said in verse 26 of Acts 9. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. So he gets to Jerusalem, he's like, guys, I'm one of you. I'm a follower of Jesus now. I've given my life to Jesus. And he's excited, he's hoping They're like, oh, this is great. They teach him like the special handshake and you know, all the cool stuff and like he's one of them now. But listen to what it said. And they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Saul had to be wondering if he would ever shake his reputation, if he'd ever be welcomed by Christians because of his past. And the truth is, this is still the case today. Maybe it's happened to you. Maybe this is something you're even struggling with right now. You've allowed your mistakes in your past to typecast you. You've been rejected by other Christians because of your past mistakes, or, or you've found it difficult to connect with a Christian community because you fear if anyone found out what you'd actually done in your past, they'd shun you or avoid you altogether. But what's amazing in Saul's life is that while, we, while he made this difficult but extraordinary decision to begin following Jesus, he didn't outrun his past mistakes all by himself. See, this is the incredible role that we get to play in others' lives too. It took a man named Barnabas to stand up for Saul. Barnabas was a very well-respected man in the Jerusalem church, and for Saul, 
he was willing to put his own reputation on the line to give space for Saul to be forgiven and to try to live out a new life. Here's what it said, very next verse, in verse 27 of Acts 9. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Everyone was standing away from him. Barnabas is like, here, Saul, I'm gonna take you. I'm gonna go with you and vouch for you. Put my name on the line. They respect me. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Now, there are a few things when you read this story that you have to read between the lines to fully understand what Saul had done and why Barnabas responded the way he did. Barnabas was a pretty incredible guy. You can read throughout the New Testament, amazing guy. But there were things that he had to have known in order to do this. Saul clearly had shared his story with Barnabas of all that God had done in his life. But could you imagine if Saul had told Barnabas about his encounter on the road to Damascus, how he encountered Jesus in this supernatural way, but never mentioned once his regret or repentance for the persecution, for the destructive actions he had taken toward other followers of Jesus. In other words, Saul had clearly confessed what he had done to Barnabas and expressed a heart of repentance for his actions and for his past. And this is really important to take note of. Like, we're trying to outrun our past, we're trying to overcome our mistakes, and and we miss this sometimes. In fact, uh, later in the New Testament, James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, in his epistle, his letter, the book of James, he would later write this, that if we can confess our sins to each other and pray for each other, we will be healed. There is something we so quickly miss in the 21st century when trying to overcome our past and the mistakes that we've made. We often have thrown the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. In other words, the mentality that we often take is that, hey, I don't have to confess my sins to a priest, or, 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 or maybe, maybe this idea that, that uh, hey, you can't judge me, no one can judge me. We've taken those ideas and we've abandoned the biblical healing process of confession. That confession is healing. That's what James writes, that when we can confess our sins to one another, when we confess our sins to God, that we can find healing and wholeness. Barnabas didn't stand up for Saul because he thought he, was a, he just had a nice personality. It was because Barnabas was deeply moved by Saul's genuine, repentant confession of, faith, of his faith in Jesus. Without confessing our mistakes or our sins to God and ultimately to one another, they will always keep their chains wrapped around us. The power of secret sin is always found in its secrecy. The confession breaks the chains of our past and we will never outrun, overcome, or shake the reputation we carry without first starting with this practice of confession. Does that mean that you just go tell everybody all of your dirty secrets? No. But that you have people in your life that you trust, that are mature, that you're willing, to practice confession, that you're willing to admit to God, God, man, I I messed up. There's something powerful about confession. After all, you can't experience the forgiveness, the redemption, and the healing of a savior that you're never willing to admit you even need. Sure, Saul faced incredible opposition and doubts, He was truly typecast by first century Christians, but it was his willingness to admit his wrong, to confess it, repent of it, and move on that set the stage for one of the greatest figures in all of church history. You see, Saul would eventually become better known as Paul. 
This wasn't because he changed his name, but because like many Jews in the Roman Empire, he had two names. He had Saul, which was uh, his Hebrew name, and his Roman name, which was a Latinized version of Saul, which was Paul. And Paul would most likely defer to his Roman name because he primarily ministered to both Gentiles and Hellenistic Jews, which were more Roman. And, uh, and he would use that name because they would understand the, the Latinized version, Paul, rather than Saul. And Paul wouldn't just share a message with the, the Gentile world. He wouldn't just go out and like preach. No, Paul, through his commitment and efforts, he would see the gospel explode across the Roman Empire. In, in fact, Paul would go on to write 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. 13 of 27. More than half of the books that we call the New Testament today were first letters written by this guy named Paul. Outside of Jesus, he is arguably the greatest human force for the gospel in the entire first century. And all of this would have been lost if he had allowed himself to be typecast by his past. And maybe you're here today. Maybe Maybe you're watching online and you've made your fair share of mistakes in your life. You may have even walked into church or jumped online and thought, if they only knew what I have done, if they only knew the things that I'm harboring, I'm holding on to. You're ashamed maybe of your past. You, you may have even accepted that you'll never, you'll never outrun them. You always carry the labels of your past mistakes. You can't imagine a life without the lingering effects of your past, the reputation you might often carry because of that past. But today, I, don't, I want you to know that the same God that could transform a man who was hunting down men and women of God in the first century, to have them imprisoned and even killed, that, that same God has been pursuing you, has been pursuing you today, that, that you would know this simple idea that your past doesn't define you, your mistakes they don't own you. There is a God who loves you. And because of that love, has gone to great lengths to make sure your future can look very, very different than your past has. That's the God we're talking about. And for some of us today, this all sounds almost too good to be true. And I get it. Because maybe you're that one that no one ever thought could turn it around. That, that one that everyone else has given up on. That, that, that one that had such a long pattern of destruction and poor decisions that, that, that even maybe your parents didn't even believe your life could ever be different. But you're here. You're sitting in church. Maybe you're watching church online. And yet you find, yourself, find it difficult to break the stereotype of your past. You feel imprisoned by these chains of your former life. How do we break the chains? How do we outrun our past? Will we forever have to prove ourselves to others? Will we always carry the labels of our mistakes? And can I tell you, these are heavy questions. I think it's important to recognize that they are heavy questions. These aren't questions that some little quip or phrase just causes to magically disappear. So I don't want to trivialize how difficult this entire conversation is in trying to overcome your past and your past decisions. This is bigger than just an actor or an actress trying to improve their career. We're talking about your life. We're talking about your future, the legacy that one day you leave. And into this weighty, difficult topic, I wanna share something Paul would experience personally and later write 
about in one of his letters to the church in Corinth. Here's what he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. He said, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. These three verses essentially describe how Paul broke away from his past and, and eliminated the labels that he would carry. In verse 16, it says, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Paul, Paul, his label he recognized his label was determined by God, not his past. But the label he carried was that he was a child of God, a follower of Jesus, not, not all the stuff that he had done in his past. Others typecast Paul just as the world will typecast you. When, when we could admit our wrong, confess our sin or mistakes, we begin to make this massive shift in who we are. See, he talks about the, the difference between a world's perspective and Christ's perspective. From a world's perspective, confession brings guilt and condemnation and pain. But from Christ's perspective, confession brings healing, redemption, and freedom. We don't see ourselves as everyone else sees us, but ultimately as God sees us. That, that the perspective we look at ourselves from is from God's perspective. In verse 17, he goes on, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. <laughs> Paul is saying his life was more influenced by where he was going, not where he had been. Paul had his eyes fixed on the future. The author of Hebrews read it this way in Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verse one. He said this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I love this analogy that, that we are running this race and that we can fix our eyes on Jesus and that we don't have to carry that with us. Being a new creation implies that who you are is not the result of what, you, what you've done in the past, but what God is preparing for you in your future. That God looks at you through the lens of your, of, of your purpose, of your potential, not simply from, from your past. Paul recognized that his life was more influenced by where he was going than where he had been. And in verse 18, he writes, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. As the worship team comes today, Paul's legacy was shaped not by what he was running from. Listen to this. It, it's not shaped by what he was running from, but who he was running to. It's not by what he was running from. You might be an alcoholic. You may have had anger issues. You may have made some pretty bad mistakes. You're not defined by that. He recognized his legacy was more about who he was running to. Your life will be transformed in a greater way when you recognize the calling to help others be transformed. It's not just you being transformed. When we embrace what Paul wrote that God has reconciled us and that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, 
the mistakes we have overcome with God's help no longer become a count against us, but they become evidence of what God can do in someone's life. The things that you carry, the weights that you drag behind you, the labels that have been placed upon you. As you, reconcile, as you recognize this amazing ministry of reconciliation that Paul writes about, those now become a point to say, you know what, I've been there. And look what God has done in my life. Not, not, not you can't, God can't do this in your life. That's not even possible, but look what God has done in my life. I've been there. I've been in your shoes. I've been in the mud with you. I want to help you see God do in your life what he's done in my life. You no longer have to outrun your past, but you have the opportunity to be be a Barnabas for someone else. That means that we don't view those who have messed up, those who have fallen short, those still in the midst of the battle with their past. We don't view them as damaged goods. We don't view them as a lost cause that's without hope. No, we are given this amazing, remarkable ministry of reconciliation. That means that we are called to do for others what has been done for us. We of all people, as followers of Jesus, we of all people should be the first ones to reach out, to support those that are struggling, to embrace those struggling, and to help them turn their lives around. Let's be a people that carry the mantle of Barnabas and be more known for our authentic practice of confession than our antagonistic practice of condemnation. This is what God has called us to do. And and today, I don't know what you've walked into this place with. I I don't know, you know, what baggage you're carrying, what you're dragging behind you, the labels that you can't outrun, the, the mistakes you've made that no one maybe even knows about, or maybe everyone knows about and you just can't seem to shake. Today, we're not here just to do our religious duty and get out of here. This is about changing our lives, transforming at the core, at the foundation of who we are. And maybe for you, your step today is a step to, to practice and exercise confession. To not come up here and tell everyone all your, all, all your dirty secrets, but to be willing to say, Jesus, I've screwed up and I've tried so hard on my own to make it right. I've tried so hard to overcome all the stuff in my past, the stuff I'm still struggling with today. I've tried so hard on my own. God, I need your help. I need a savior. I don't just need a a religious icon. I don't just need a religious book. I need a savior. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online and that's where you're at. I don't wanna just go through the motions here and get through church and get out of here without giving an opportunity for us to practice this healing, transforming practice of confession. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you don't give up on us. God, that even when it feels like you don't hear us, you're still there. You're still right there with us, pursuing us, longing for us to experience your grace, your love, and your truth. God, I pray for those that are here today, those watching online, that they're struggling. Their past has defined them. Their mistakes have owned them. The labels they carry are labels they can't shake. I pray today, Lord, they could experience what it's like to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. 
as you're continuing to pray this morning, if you're here, you're watching online, and you'd say, Nick, I need a savior. I can't do this on my own. I need a God that can forgive me, a God that can love me, a God that can actually see purpose in my future. I need that in my life so bad. If that's you this morning, I'm gonna count to three. And at three, I'm just gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven. All those folks we baptized today, they've, they've done this. It's, it's not a, a, a religious practice, it's a, it's a commitment to say, you know what? I recognize I need this and I'm gonna commit to follow Jesus. I wanna commit to experience his forgiveness. If that's you this morning, on the count of three, one, two, three, if that's you, raise your hand, amen, amen. Anyone else today, amen, amen. You can put your hands down. I'm asking everyone that raised their hand, even those that didn't, all, all of us that are in the room, those watching online, if you could pray this prayer with me. This is a prayer of confession that I wanna lead you in. It's, it's not like a magical prayer. It's a conversation with God. That's what confession is. Sharing with your mouth what is in your heart and your mind. Talking to the God of the universe that we can actually do, which is remarkable. Would you pray this prayer with me together, everyone? Dear God, I admit that I've messed up. I've made mistakes. I confess that I've sinned. I need a savior. I need a God to forgive me, to love me, and a God that has a purpose for me. Today I accept your free gift of forgiveness. I commit to live for your purposes. Give me the strength and the courage to follow you all the days of my life and to show your love to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. For those of you that prayed that prayer, that, that, that made that confession, I would encourage you, stop by the Connection Center if you're here in person. We wanna get some booklets, materials in your hands to help you continue that journey. If you're watching online, you can go to connect.calvaryrowan.com and click Committed My Life to Jesus. We can get you that digitally. We wanna help come alongside you. And today, before we go, we've talked a lot about our mistakes in our past, but I believe deeply that the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you about something that only He can. We're gonna sing a song here before we go. As we sing that song, I want you to create space to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit trying to speak to you? What is the Holy Spirit wanting you to do what we've talked about today? What is the Holy Spirit highlighting in your life, circling, underlining, saying, Nick, this is for you. This is what this means for you. We're gonna sing this song and I want you to listen, not just for the words of a song, but for the voice of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me together this morning as we sing this song? together this morning. If you feel comfortable just putting your hands, Lord, we come before you. Holy Spirit, speak to us. God, there are so many things that can hold us back from what you have. Mistakes that we've made, our past. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Challenge us. Reveal to us, Lord, what you want us to do and what you've called us to be. Let's sing this song together this morning. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. 
At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.